What if I told you that with one simple switch, one of the world's greatest carbon producers can become the world's greatest carbon reducer? That's right. Today we're talking about cement as the key building material of most tower blocks, car parks, bridges and dams. Concrete has enabled great advancements in our city's infrastructure throughout the years. It's the most widely used man-made material in existence, but it comes with a pretty heavy price. And I don't mean just a price tag. Did you know that for every one ton of cement created, an equivalent of one ton of carbon dioxide is produced? In fact, the cement industry has been so busy that if it were a single country, it would be the third largest emitter in the world, only behind China and the US. But recently, a new technology has been developed that has the ability to backtrack the immense carbon footprint of cement. Hello, I am your host, Mike Lake, and in today's preview, I will be talking with Tim Sperry, the founder of Carbon Limit, a company producing green cement technology to lower carbon emissions and transform our concrete into a carbon capture solution. Innovation, resiliency, discovery. Join Mike Lake, president and CEO of Leading Cities, as we explore the technologies shaping the possibilities of our future with a preview of tomorrow. Hello and welcome, Tim. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. And of course, I want to thank all of our listeners and viewers for tuning in once again. I'm really pleased to introduce you today to Tim Sperry. He is the founder of Carbon Limit, a green cement technology that lowers the carbon footprint of concrete to turn it into a carbon capture and storage solution. So, Tim, I know most of us engage in one way or another with concrete or cement on a daily basis and most of us don't ever think about the carbon footprint of that cement tell us what is it that inspired you to to focus on this issue and and create carbon limit really great to be here and yeah that's that's actually definitely the root of how everything came about uh, when I was younger, I actually lost some family members to lung cancer from someone else polluting their air. So I've always had an affinity for wanting to come up with solutions to not only protect the rest of my family, but other people as well. So I've been on a mission for years and I started developing different uh, nature-based negative emission technologies, which sounds like a mouthful, uh, but I created solutions that help reduce and eliminate air pollution. Uh, and And that's really... You know, one of the main drivers, uh, as as well as our mission with Carbon Limit. Well, it, it's as I said. I mean, it's something most of us think so little about. Um, I mean, and I think it's fair to say, um, well, I don't know how many, but may, we'll say many in an optimistic way. Many of us um, have heard of and understand the importance of dealing with our carbon emissions and reducing those carbon emissions for the sake of the planet. Uh, it, it's not possible to to reach our 2050 goals or 2030 goals or any of our goals if you're not including cement in that equation. Because it, it, if I'm correct, it takes up a big portion of carbon emissions on a global scale. Is that, is that right? 
Yeah, the cement industry alone takes up 8% of anthropogenic man-made CO2 pollution every year. And it's growing as our population is growing and urban areas are growing. And I never thought about it either uh, that, you know, because we look, we take it for granted. We walk on it, we drive on it, we live in it like it's everywhere. It's the second most used material on the planet. So you're just like, oh, water, cement, concrete, it's all just there. And I had no idea until we started diving in really how impactful uh, negatively the industry is, but what a big opportunity to make a super positive impact. Well, give us a sense of just how, I mean, 8%, that gives us some sense, but what does that mean in in more tangible terms? Yeah, so it's, um, there's 4 billion tons of cement, uh, which is the glue that holds concrete together made each year. And one ton of concrete, which not many people really know what a ton is, makes almost one ton of CO2 pollution. To put it in easy terms, if the cement industry was a country, it'd be the third largest emitter of CO2 pollution in the world behind only China and the U.S. So it's really impactful, really big. That is big. And in in the intro, I I talk about the fact that... um, you know, it, it is not just a, an emitter, but it can actually be uh, an absorber or, you know, could sequester or capture uh, carbon. Just explain to us real quickly, what does that mean of carbon sequestration? Yeah, so carbon sequestration is something that happens naturally with a lot of the Earth's minerals and rocks uh, that are on our Earth's crust. And it's like through a very long process of enhanced weathering which is where moisture and rain will capture CO2 from the air and actually pull it into the cement, pull it into rocks, and then it turns that CO2 very, very, very slowly over time into solid carbonates. Uh, So it actually turns the CO2 into something solid in the concrete. Um, Concrete does that really inefficiently. Over 100 years, concrete maybe takes in about 13% of its own carbon footprint. So now tell us about Carbon Limit, because this is a challenge, and and we've talked previous episodes that, you know, it's nice to have all of these carbon goals, um, but I've seen some reports that say we're on pace to achieve our 2030 goals by 2098. (laughs) I mean, another way of saying we're way behind on this. Um, So give us a sense of what, what, what does Carbon Limit do and what does that impact? Yeah, so uh, always happy to talk about that. Uh, On a really high level, we created a technology that turns atmospheric CO2 into concrete, Uh, Mm. kind of how I just discussed, you know, before how it happens naturally over time. Well, we created a cement replacement, which is about 90% of the carbon footprint of concrete. We've created a substitute that's nature-based, so it's natural rocks and minerals and active natural rocks and minerals goes into the cement, reduces the carbon footprint of the cement at the point of manufacturing by about 30%. And then once it's a road, a bridge, or a building, or a concrete infrastructure, uh, it will actually actively attract from the air like a magnet, the CO2, and then it turns it into a solid carbonate. So turning it into a solid within the concrete. So we're kind of changing the face and what people would maybe associate with a direct air capture machine and 
using concrete to create a direct air capture machine where you're capturing CO2 and storing it there. And the so, best part is we store it permanently. It doesn't get re-released. Not like a tree when it falls over, it goes back. This stays in there forever. Wow. So, I mean, simultaneously reducing the amount of carbon needed in the manufacturing process while also speeding up the absorption level in the post-manufacturing. Exactly. Exactly it, right. Is there a limit to how much carbon a concrete can actually absorb? Yeah. Uh, traditional concrete made with regular cement, which is limestone that has been burnt at about 1500 degrees Celsius in a giant kiln, whatever has been emitted from that burnt limestone could be theoretically one for one, pound for pound, sequestered back in. So that would be 100%. And I said it was about 13 over 100 years, 13% over 100 years. So it just almost would never go to 100%. But we're not only uh, increasing that efficiency, but we're adding to the size of the carbon sink. So our materials are like an extra, very selective and very reactive to CO2, uh, mineralizing that CO2 into the materials in our cement replacement, our technology. Wow. So now give me a sense. Uh, who uses this technology? Is it the manufacturer? Is it, you know... Can you get something at Home Depot or Lowe's or one of these types of stores? How, give us a sense of how how it's used. Well, we're working on all of those, but <laughs> we're trying to stay all in uh, time. Yeah, all in time. Uh, but right now, what we're seeing and what we're doing is um, we've got different end users that are requesting it. So, like a Google that's building a data center, a city that's building a road or building a sidewalk or a department of transportation that needs it for a highway expressway job, they can request our materials to be added. Uh, and it's just a drop-in solution. It's actually like a powder additive you add as you're mixing the concrete. And those are end users. Uh, we're really pushing a lot with the cement and concrete companies to have them adopt this technology, whether it's by buying our cement additive or by licensing our formula from us. So that way they can service the entire industry. But we figured that if we would build up some of that customer demand, the cement and concrete industries would come too. Uh, fortunately for us, the cement and the global cement and concrete industry made a large commitment, the biggest industry commitment to date of reducing carbon footprint by 25% by 2030, and then going net zero by 2050. So oh. fortunately since then, a lot of those cement and concrete companies have contacted us directly, and now we're piloting with them to work on next steps and work on bringing them on as customers. So this could just be the, the standard future recipe for concrete everywhere. I think it should be. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm, I suppose anybody listening, uh, watching, might share one question, which is, what, what, if anything, does it do to durability? Is there an impact there? Yeah, actually, really surprisingly, we just completed a Minnesota Department of Transportation, Minnesota Road Project. So we're now officially part of a U.S. interstate, I-94 westbound. So if you want to go to Minnesota and drive on our concrete, you can do that today. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Um, so what, what it actually we found is that we've been doing third party lab tests and efficacy tests uh, for over the last year. Uh, it actually improves the performance of the concrete by improving the compressive strength and has self-healing mm -hmm. properties. So those little micro cracks 
and other cracks that start to form, it actually glues them back together. So potentially mitigating upfront maintenance requirements. So greener, cleaner, last longer, stronger. I mean, I'll be honest, this is starting to sound too good to be true. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let, let, just out of curiosity, although it sounds like the, the concrete industry is, is coming around and they have their goals, and, and this is definitely a potential way of capturing uh, or obtaining their goals, but what, if any, roadblock do you see in this becoming a more standard um, solution? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So certainly, you know, a new technology that's not everywhere, that hasn't had a lot of tenure, a lot of durability, um, or a lot of projects that it's been in for a long amount of time. Uh, when you recarbonate concrete, there's always a concern with a rebar reinforced, like the buildings in your background have, you know, concrete that's built vertically, and there's iron uh, steel rebars that are in there. If you carbonate too much the concrete, there's a concern that that concrete, uh, the concrete with the rebar will have corrosion. Uh, so we have to do additional lab tests to quantify that part of the equation. Uh, so for other uses like roadways, sidewalks, other non-structural and non-rebar reinforced, you can start using this today, deploying it today. Uh, there still is some R&D to be done to quantify that, hey, if you build a building with this, it's not gonna you know, corrode and fall apart. Yeah. And, Although, and then there's the regulations too. You know, there's, there's always, there's always those uh, regulations that people want a ASTM standard, which we're working on right now with ASTM. Okay, wow. Um, but corrosion with rebar is always a concern, isn't it? Because concrete is a very porous material, so it's water that and air that are the real, you know, issues there. I would think, no. Yeah, and and that's true, and and it's just kind of. You know, people, it's something new where people always thought carbonization is bad. And I've been speaking with a lot of universities, a lot of professors, and a lot of uh, people that have written publications on carbonization. And all of them had a consensus that carbonation was bad. But now a lot of them are coming around to think carbonation is necessary and actually could be good because mm -hmm. so much concrete in the world, if you could turn every building, every road, every concrete structure into a carbon capture solution, we could solve a really big chunk of the world's CO2 emissions problems. It's amazing. So I just want to think now 10, 20, 50 years from now, every every ounce or drop of concrete anywhere it, it contains the carbon limit solution, that, that additive. Um, what, what will that mean? What will it mean to you know, the construction industry, what will it mean to individuals? What will it mean to the planet? Uh, we see that as, you know, we're helping tell a narrative for companies that have a hard time reducing their emissions. We can help them quantifiably reduce their carbon emissions in their built environment. Uh, so if this is in everything, first of all, we can reduce at the gigaton scale every year because we're a 30% replacement where there's about a four plus billion uh, tons of CO2 that are being emitted from this industry every year. If we can reduce, uh, if we can be 30% of that, we're a gigaton every year or more. Uh, but then we're also helping the environment overall. We're reducing fuel requirements to make cement. We're reducing the emissions that are created from that cement. So we're making things better on both sides. 
That's amazing. Well, listen, Tim, I, I'm so glad to have had you on this episode of Preview of Tomorrow, but I want to thank you, not just for your time, but I mean, really for tackling this issue. And, you know, I, I said at the beginning, I, I'll say it again. So many of us, you know, as you you mentioned, walk all over this stuff, drive by it, use it or whatever, think nothing of it. So thank you for being the one to to really think about it and figure out how we can all benefit while also reducing those carbon emissions that are a threat to everybody. Yeah, my my absolute pleasure. And it's a pleasure to be with you. Pleasure to be a part of the program. It's it's been instrumental in helping us grow, helping us develop as well. So we look forward to many more great things. And uh, again, thanks for having me on. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Preview of Tomorrow. Listeners like you are essential to advancing our efforts to drive resiliency and sustainability for all. I ask that you give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever streaming platform you prefer. Your feedback helps us to grow and share these brief previews of what life in the future can be. In addition to thanking our guest today, I want to thank Peter Roy and Demetria Bridges for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and encourage others to also join us each week in previewing the possibilities of tomorrow. Preview of Tomorrow is brought to you by Leading Cities, a global nonprofit driving resilience and sustainability for all by unleashing the potential of the world's cities. Join them at leadingcities.org.